At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. And he swings, hits it high, and deep, and gone! Still going! It's the call-up, and it is a Monday, March 7th, and the next farm system that is up is the Kansas City Royals, and of course, I'm joined by Jack McMullen to help me fly through this system. A little different approach this time, Jack, though, because I'm, I'm actually excited about this. We already have published the Royals system. That was one of the first that we did during last season. Instead of just starting all over and scrapping it, we're going to kind of peel back the curtain and let people understand and hear us as we talk through this stuff and figure out exactly where we're going to stick certain players because we haven't made our final decisions yet. I thought this is kind of a cool new approach. It is a cool new approach. Uh, it's also fun for people to know that it's not just you going rogue and uh, and doing it by your lonesome. You do ask for input from other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot more qualified than I, um, but I'm going to try my hardest to try and sift through this. But this is the conversation you're having while we record on a hot microphone. So you're talking to way more valuable people and way more knowledgeable people when you're not recording. <laughs> Don't discount yourself, man, because I also, I mean... Um, there's going to be a, a lot of things or a lot of reasons for me to connect with you uh, this coming season. That's all I'll say uh, to be able to uh, pick your brain on some of the guys that you got to see, um, which I'm really excited to, to be able to do that. I have to be so cryptic right now, but it's going to be really cool uh, once we're able to make that one official. Uh, but yeah, I, I think you're selling yourself short there, especially on the pitcher side. Uh, because you, I know you're you're a little bit of a pitching mechanic junkie, as we were just talking before we started recording. But yeah, I, I do appreciate what you say there, which is the conversation, the questions that I'm presenting to you, I'm presenting to other players, I'm presenting to other people, you know, that that we know in the industry, uh, other guys at Baseball America, whoever, wherever. Like these are the questions that I'm asking when we're talking about the Royal System, and this is what I'm going to be going through as we update it over the next couple of days and, and really flesh out the system. So exhibit A and just like, yeah, I, I like some of the comments like you guys just smell each other's farts like we we gas each other up. I love that one. Um, yeah, I am going to I am going to pump your tires up a little bit right now, though. Oh. If you were listening to the conversation with Anthony Mulrine last week, the catcher in the angle Angels organization, like this is what Aram does. He asks professional baseball players what they think about other professional baseball players. <laughs> and that's where you get the best answer. So Anthony Mulrine said that Nick Lodolo was the best pitcher that he saw in double A this year. Okay, I prefer that over hearing from, you know, whatever talking head that hasn't played baseball in 20 years that they don't think Nick Lodolo is a top 20 year top 100 prospect. If Nick Lodolo is the best player that another player saw (laughs) in double A baseball, he's a really good player. That is fact. It's true. 
Um, so I, I love that aspect, right? You go to players for the player opinion. Um, if you're a college baseball head, if you're getting more into college baseball and you've watched any West Coast college baseball, Brock Jones at Stanford is a really good player. I was just on the FaceTime with my brother yesterday. His roommate is a pitcher on the Santa Clara baseball team. And I asked his roommate, I said, how good was Brock Jones? He said, dude, he's a freak. He's a tank. He's so scared. Mean, he's massive. He's, he's massive. He was a former safety or a linebacker. He was a yeah, defensive linebacker. player for Stanford football. He was a linebacker. Um, and all of a sudden he's turned into a tank in the outfield and he should be a first round pick. And he flies. Like, he flies. So when I hear from somebody that just recently played against Brock Jones, that Brock Jones is really good. I place a ton of stock. in. That. Yeah. Isn't it I crazy? Like that you place a ton of stock in that stuff too. It's, it's a wild concept before we jump into the Royals. It's, and again, like we, we take as, as many checks and balances as we can, like fan graphs, for example, one of the things that they do that really helps uh, legitimize their list is that they run it through front offices. Um, and I think that's what baseball America does a lot too. I think that's a great approach and, and I'll try to, and I don't have the contacts that they have in front offices, but if I have anybody in that range, I'll definitely run it by them. But to me, I still think it's more valuable. And I think it's so funny that, that, a lot of these uh, outlets don't really run it by players. Maybe they don't have the relationships with players that we have being that we're probably some of the younger guys in the prospect industry, but I like, yeah, why don't we talk to the people that are actually facing these guys and they can say what they think about it. I, I don't, I don't let that fully dictate the list, but it definitely helps either open your eyes or reaffirm a, a lot of what you're believing and what you're seeing. And I'm excited to, to talk to some players this coming year about some of these Royals guys, because there are some extremely, extremely, extremely talented guys in the system and, and plenty of guys that, you know, I've actually had some good conversations with or about in the system, some of which I'll actually be able to share. Uh, but I mean, at the top, as we know, there's, there's not going to be much moving around uh, with the top three guys, but it doesn't take too long to start getting into a bit of controversy with Asa Lacey. And honestly, we are updating the top 100 list too. So we're fully peeling back the curtain here. And I am still one of the more difficult decisions I have to make, Jack, and you know, this is a conversation I'm going to have with you. This is a conversation I'm going to have with several different players who played in high A last year. Uh, this is a conversation I'm going to have with Baseball America guys and everybody. How far is too far to drop Ace Lacey? And that's what we're going to get to in a second. I figure we might as well start with the positives and start with the super elite, really fun prospects. And we don't have to spend too much time on you know the big three, but I. It, be remiss to not talk about him, Jack. I mean, Bobby Witt, um, I, I think the angle to really discuss Bobby Witt, because there's nothing that we're going to say that is going to be uh, groundbreaking or really just uh, anything new information wise for Royals fans or anybody listening to the podcast. Bobby Witt was uh, apparently they just said that he would be you know, given every chance to crack the opening day roster. What's really cool, though, that works out in Witt's favor is kind of what we talked about uh, earlier in the Just Baseball Show episode, which inspired me to also do the 40-man episode on Friday. So I appreciate a lot of the research you did for that to help me kind of do some of that on this on this podcast. Bobby Witt's going to have a few weeks in AAA because he's not on the 40-man to audition. Like he's going to have three weeks to go off in AAA. And then hopefully if baseball season comes around in a month at the big league level, they're going to be like, all right, all right, time to bring Bobby Witt up. Here's the big question. When spring training starts for the big leaguers, if it does start, you know, like after April 5th, which is opening day, Omaha starts in Indianapolis. Do you keep 
Bobby Witt in Omaha, or do you send him to big league spring training? Oh, it's a hard question, right? Because why wouldn't you just have him in Omaha and give him the official call up on opening day? Because then you're seeing actual AAA baseball, or you could see the gear up from big league pitchers in spring training. But why I would you put him in games that don't matter? See, on, from a game standpoint, I'm with you. I would almost like Bobby Witt, though, to just be around the big leaguers, get acclimated, get comfortable with the teammates. I, maybe he's already done enough of that. You know, I don't know. If he's already had three weeks under his belt of playing games, it is kind of weird to now go back into these, like, half-speed games. It's a really weird situation. If he's performing, uh, yeah, I guess maybe just let him keep swinging it. If he's struggling for whatever reason, then maybe send him to, to spring training. That's a really interesting question. I, I honestly have no idea. I'd have to know more about how spring training works for those prospects who are trying to compete for a spot in terms of just their day-to-day and how much he gets out of that. Um, because right. it's going to be a gradual ramp up for a guy who's already ramped up. Exactly. And and it's a question that nobody has ever had to answer before because we haven't been in this delayed weird season. And uh, when the MLB season was delayed, it's not like minor league baseball was going on in 2020. It didn't happen. So um, yeah, I, it's going to be interesting. And I think wit is the best example. Um, I guess you could also see it with Adley Rutschman, right? Adley has a good chance to be the opening day catcher for the Baltimore Orioles. What happens there? Does he stick in Norfolk or does he go back to Florida and play with the Orioles? No idea. We'll see. Witt and Adley are going to be really good. But uh, yeah, from an analysis standpoint, my next act on this pod is to tell you why Bobby Witt sucks. Uh, no, like he's the best prospect in baseball, right? We don't yeah. have to. We don't have to do a deep dive on him. No, no, I, I did. I did receive a report that the Royals farm system. Many of the players are looking to grow out the flow. Um, so that is a new development on Bobby Wood. I think he's growing out the flow as well. I know okay. Nick Prado is growing out the flow. Um, yeah. So big news out there. I'm Jay Melendez as well. Um, a lot of hair in Kansas city. Uh, a lot of hair. Number two, you got to go MJ Melendez, right? I mean, and that's, that's where things are just, it, this big three is crazy. What did they combine for home run wise? You had, you had 30 something from wit 30 something from Prado and 41 from Melendez. These guys combined for a hundred home runs, more than a hundred home runs. Well, I mean, it was ridiculous. Um, I'll pull it up while you dive into MJ, but like the Omaha storm chasers, the Royals triple a affiliate smashed any home run record there was in minor league baseball. I think across the entirety of full season, minor league baseball, the Royals system had like five of the top 10 home run hitters, but yeah, dive into Melendez and I'll give you the, the firm number. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just crazy because you also look at, I had a tweet a while back that was comparing Melendez and Prado's numbers from 2019 combined to what it was in, in 2021 combined. And when I tell you it's night and day, I mean, both those guys really struggled in that first professional season and, or not first professional season, but I guess like first full season, and both just exploded this year. And really, there, there's nothing else that either of them has to prove at the AAA level. And unfortunately for, for MJ Melendez, he's on the 40-man. Uh, so he's another one of those guys that he's just stuck in a holding pattern trying to figure out what he's going to do um, and when he can actually go report to Arizona. He's extremely eager to report to Arizona, and he can't. Uh, that sucks. That absolutely sucks. Uh, but the good news is, He's coming off of an absolutely fantastic season. 
He made adjustments to his swing. He made adjustments to his approach and they both translated really well. Uh, he, he was much more disciplined and also was just able to repeat his swing. He was able to lift the ball so naturally, so easily and get into his power so much more easily. And what's amazing about him is he can go foul pull to foul pull with, with these home runs. I mean, you see him inside out balls that leave the yard. You see him go pull side and leave the yard. And, and that's why Jack listen to his numbers, fastball versus breaking ball, because he's so he has such good control of his body and such an easy swing to replicate for himself that he can catch it way late and hit it out, or he can be early and still hit it out. This is the slash line against fastballs, 344, 433, 740. It's an 1173 OPS. Usually guys that are that good against fastballs, you're like, okay, well, how is he against curveballs? Oh, well, he's just 327, 397, 755, Jack. That's an 1151 OPS. Are you kidding me? That's ridiculous. 1100 OPS against both fastballs and breaking balls. How are you getting this guy out? I don't know. He, he was eighth in all of minor league baseball in OPS. There were 10 guys in minor league baseball uh, who had an OPS over a thousand. One of them was Julio Rodriguez, who MJ <laughs> Melendez finished eight points above. Um, I mean, it's ridiculous. So to have the exact number for you, Melendez, Prado and Bobby Witt Jr. combined for 110 home runs this year. They were three of the top four home run hitters in all of minor league baseball. Who was the other one? It's Griffin Conine. Griffin Conine. Bang. MJ Melendez led minor league baseball with 41. Griffin Conine and Nick Prado were tied for second with 36. And then Bobby Witt Jr. had 33. That was fourth in minor league baseball. These guys all mashed. And you look at Melendez. Melendez was fourth in all of minor league baseball across every level in slugging percentage. Jose Marmalejos, career triple-A guy. Yeah, he's like 30. In slugging. He's, he's like 30. 30. <laughs> Matt Davidson, who is above 30 and has yep. played like a ton of major league baseball was second in slugging gyro Pomares, who you absolutely love was third in slugging. And then came MJ Melendez. Like this guy is one of the elite hitters in minor league baseball. And when you compare him to other power hitters in minor league baseball, it's everybody with like dad strength. Like these guys are fathers of three. And then you've got Melendez, who's a legitimate prospect, who's putting up these power numbers, which is ridiculous. With no swing and miss, like very limited swing and miss, right? I mean, the K rate is sub 20% and the, the, the chase rates are above average. Average is a 30% chase rate, 25% chase rate for him last year. Uh, just a really good overall approach. And his... His slugging on contact is stupid because he just gets so much quality out of it. Such easy lift. It's really hard to get this guy out. He's good against lefties. He's good against, it's great against righties. There's really no way to get him out. And defensively, he's good. He's really solid defensively. He's a student of the game and um, he's going to get to learn from Salvi. I'm sure they're going to get him some action behind the dish. And that's the big question, right? Jack is how does he fit in next year at the big league level? My only theory and what I talked about with Peter on the Just Baseball show when we were previewing the Royals was I would love to see Salvi catching five days a week, uh, four days a week, five days a week, whatever it is. And the other two days is MJ starting behind the dish. And then the other five days when he's not starting behind the dish, he's the DH. I, I, I don't really see an issue with that. Okay. So but it does suck. You want to develop your catcher. I get it. But what are you going to do? You're going to put him in AAA and let him just suffer there for another year after he just hit 41? No. So I, I'm ready to move off the Salvador Perez catcher train. I, so am I, but it's not happening. 
It's not happening. Okay, so how about like a 4-3 split? Like if MJ Melendez caught three days a week and DH for four and Salvador Perez caught four, DH for three. Yeah. And this isn't a Salvi indictment. Like how about you're keeping Salvi fresh for a a four-year deal that you just gave him? Also, Royals fans, hate to break it to you, you have the better catcher behind the plate when Melendez is there. Mm -hmm. You just have the better catcher. And, and not just that. I mean, everyone's like, oh, but Salvi calls a good game. I totally agree. And he brings a lot of intangibles to the table. Well, guess what? He can help MJ bring those those similar intangibles and learn. So I, I think a 4-3 split with both of those guys in the lineup day in and day out, you want to do a nice little combination? How many home runs are those two combined for? What did Salvi hit, 52? 90? Salvi <laughs> hit 49? <laughs> yeah. MJ hit 41. 90. Combined for 90. Legitimately 90. 90 home runs. This – these two, this duo, can change the Royals lineup outlook big time. And you know who else can is Nick Prado. Correct. Right? What, what did they get from first base last year? They didn't get much at all. I mean, did Carlos Santana make a majority of the starts? Like, who, who else was getting getting run at first base last year? Hunter Dozier, I want to yeah, okay. say. Points, points still stands then. Um, Nick Prado, there's swing and miss. But he walks so freaking much that it doesn't matter to me. And he's on top of the power that he brings. He's an elite defender at first base, like, like gold glove. He will win multiple gold gloves in the big leagues. I would almost put my life on that. At least one. He's a great defender. And I know glove first baseman doesn't matter. Uh, We're not talking about Evan white here. We're talking about a guy who hits nukes. Um, And you know what? Yes. Is there a little bit of swing and miss? Sure. But he, his chase rates aren't that bad. I think it's more of an approach thing. He's almost too passive. And it's a tough balance to strike, right? Because you have a super passive hitter who swings less than 40. He swings 39% of the time. That, that's not enough. But he walks a lot, and he still gets his home runs. He still gets his power. He still slugs. It's tough because you, you don't want to change that. It works. But I think getting deep into counts is a recipe for – a bit of struggle at times at the big league level, because if you let yourself get deep, big leaguers can execute a pitch and, and get you out pretty, pretty easily. So I would like to see a bit more aggression out of him, but I mean, dude, Prado was, was fantastic last year. Yeah. And he made a tangible correction. I mean, you look at 2019, he spent the whole year in high a with Bloomington and he was really bad. Him and Melendez were the same. Yeah. They're really brutal. bad. And then the COVID year did wonders for them because they could develop at the alternate site. Right. Yeah. Like they had a chance to really hone in and focus on something. Um, and they came out in 21 in 2021 guns blazing. I mean, 2019 Prado hit 191 with a 588 OPS. <laughs> like really, really brutal. Which is uh, But how do you correct that? You come back and across double A AA and triple A, you hit 265 with a 987 OPS. He got better from double A AA to triple A, right? 61 games with Northwest Arkansas. He hit 271 with a 974 OPS. The batting average went down about 12 points. Okay. But in 63 games, he had an OPS over a thousand in triple A. Yes. So I'm sold on Prado. Um, we were just talking about minor league gold gloves. Um, minor league baseball hands out a gold glove across like every level and Prado won it for first baseman. Um, another Royals farmhand won it at second base. Jose Tena was the uh, was the gold glove winner. Oh, you must have just been you must have just been loving that that I was amped. Yeah, I was amped. Adley Rutschman won it behind the plate, and then uh, Michael Harris and Christian Pache were two of the outfielders. I don't know who the third outfielder was. Harris, but, really interesting. Yeah, but Prado, I listen. Prado is 
going to be a gold glover. You're right. He also, yeah, might get into some spells where like we saw Chris Bryant, right? Where it's like, oh, this is tough. He's, he's striking yes. out a lot, like some quick counts here. But when he's hitting the ball well, you see it and it's like, okay, yeah, 40, 40s in the tank here. Yeah. Let's oh, yeah. And, and here's the thing. Like I, what I like about a guy like Prado is even when he's slumping, he's going to walk. He's still going to run into a couple and he's going to play great defense. So he's, he's still not a zero, right? Like he could go a series, not get any hits and still give you a 300 on base. And you're like, okay, if this is the worst, if this is the the worst stretch he's going to give us, like, all right, sign me up for that. Yeah. It's like the Yasmani Grandal slump, you know, like he's still going to walk and he's going to do a good job behind the dish. So it's a little bit like that. I want to see Prada be a bit more aggressive, but you flew through their numbers. They're fantastic. And what I like even more so is that he crushes lefties. That's always my big thing to watch. Lefty power hitter. Okay, is he just feasting on righties? If you can't hit lefties, you're going to see a lot more at the big league level. He crushes them. 1,000 OPS against lefties. He might have been better left on left. Yeah, it's like, does the lefty-lefty slider take you out of the equation? The answer is simply yes or no for a lot of left-handed power hitters, and the answer usually is yes. It takes you out of the equation. For Prado, the answer is no, and that is like, I mean, it should be like, praise Jesus. Oh my God, put your hands in the air if you're the Royals. Like we we found one. We found the diamond in the rough. Literally, literally. And and so these three guys, obviously top 100 dudes. Um, and, you know, now we're going to really start getting into the, the conversations that we need to have instead of just agreeing on guys being great, um, yeah. which is still way more fun anyways. I don't like being mean about players, but you got to do what you got to do, right? Yeah. Uh, people won't come to us if we uh, sugarcoat everything. And that's what I try and be. I remember Marlins fans used to get pissed at me for for how harsh I was on Victor Victor Mesa. And I'm like, look, do, do you want me to sit here and I'll tell you, like, he's great. He could be a fourth outfielder. Yeah. yeah or do you want or do you do want you, you to tell them that, what, like, what he I actually won't get past double A? Right. Yeah. Like, I, I can I can try to be informative or I can I can just raw, raw. These guys are all great. Um, but these three guys are studs. <laughs> and uh, I, I think with with where they stack up, I would I would be almost I mean, we know Bobby what's number one. I, Melendez is going to be top. 35. I'm, I'm fairly positive. Prado is an interesting one because it's, it's the value of first baseman that really I struggle. I don't struggle with, but is always a conundrum because it's like, okay, Prado is this, what he is, but you have an outfielder who can play decent defense that doesn't quite have the numbers and track record, but has that upside in a more premium uh, you know, war position in terms of what you can accumulate defensively. And it's tough, but because of what Prado brings defensively, he's probably a top 50 guy too. Uh, so you got three top fifties at the top for Royals fans. And I think that's extremely exciting, uh, but, but this is where things get a bit interesting and a bit sticky. You look at our previous rankings for the Royals and uh, you know, this is where Asa Lacey would come in, right? Um, there's a chance that it still is where Asa Lacey comes in. But Jack, I, I'm I'm leaning towards dropping this guy pretty quickly. And it's tough because, you know, I think a lot of Royals fans might say, really, you're going to drop him this fast after one season. I'm really struggling to, to keep this guy on the top 100 list, period, Jack. He couldn't throw strikes. Yeah. He simply couldn't throw strikes. He's got sick stuff. We know that. But there were outings where it was so freaking hard to watch. Like I, you want to turn it off because you feel bad. Um, 
we know how nasty this stuff is. Like you saw it at AM. Uh, you could see it if you watched him in low A or high A this year. Uh, I actually think he spent the entire yeah he spent the entire year in high A. Made yeah, which is, which is, quad which is pretty crazy if you think about it. Because for context, I was in a I was I was talking about the draft actually. Everyone thought Lacey was going to go three to the Marlins, and the Marlins surprised a lot of people and took Meyer at three. Meyer started the season in Double A. Lacey never reached Double A. So they're just kind of for context. Well, it's obvious that the Royals not only doubted the command, but they doubted the control, and neither was there. Yeah. Um, Lacey's got a really good fastball. We know that. It's it's going to be 95 to 97, flirt with nines occasionally, um, and he's got yeah, a really good slider too. Like fastball slider, if he controls both of those, he doesn't even need to have command. They're good pitches. Uh, but he didn't have control of anything. He was walking seven guys per nine. It was a 17% walk rate. And the fastball, he couldn't command it. No. When he shows command of just one of those like two or three pitches, he also has a decent changeup too. Um, if he shows command of any of the one pitch, then like, yeah, he's a top 100 guy, but he didn't show command of anything last year. Yeah. What do you think the walk rate was on the fastball? On the fastball, his overall walk rate was 17%. Yeah. What do you think it was on the fastball? Fastball walk rate should be sub 10%. I feel like it's not sub 10%. No. What was it? 25.3%. Like that's horrible. That, that you That won't work. That fastball is the one that the fastball is the one that you're supposed to be able to throw. Like the fastball at least is the one where the, the where the catcher just throws the number one down, and, and it's he like, just, okay, throw throw the number one, like and, not and throw it else. hard it, it, over that plate. And I get it; it it's hard, but um, we're talking about a, the, a guy that was supposedly the best pitcher in draft uh, by by a lot of people's. Uh, and I honestly, I I was pretty surprised at the Marlins. I, it was about three hours before that I started hearing that. Meyer could be uh, an option instead of Lacey. And it was from someone I trust, but at the same time, I was like, nah, <laughs> like I was it like, was no shot. shot. I right. was just like, I was like, no way. Like, I'm sure I believe you that they are considering it, but I don't believe that it's going to happen was kind of what my thought was when I, when I did receive that information and then boom, Myers drafted was so far looks like the right pick. Uh, you know, the, the reason why I'm going to drop, Lacey pretty significantly is because of that fastball issue. If, if like the quality of secondaries is great, but if you can't locate your fastball, you have nothing like that is your baseline. That is, that is your foundation, whether you're Asa Lacey or anybody else. And if you can't do that and, and not to mention, man, he was throwing the fastball nearly 70% of the time. So that shows you how little confidence he has in the secondaries. If he is favoring that pitch, with what he was doing with it last year, we've got some problems right now uh, with Asa Lacey. Yeah, I mean, listen, he, he's built like a god. He, he's a very thick-cut 6'4". He looks like he's all muscle. Um, he's a left-handed pitcher, and he throws 98. Uh, there was a time, maybe 10 years ago, maybe even five years ago, where you could get away with 97 consistently if you commanded it well. So if everything else went to shit, you could be a one-pitch pitcher and just dot hard fastballs and you could get out of innings. That's not the case anymore. We see that. Everybody throws 97. Everybody throws 99 now. So, like, Lacey has to have the fastball to work off of, and then he's got to find either the slider or the changeup on a start-by-start basis. If you can't even find the fastball, you have zero baseline, like you're saying. So there's nothing. So here's the question. 
Frank Mazzucato. Do we put Frank Mazzucato, who has yet to pitch really at the professional level, um, you know, for, we haven't seen him really go out there and make starts. But, you know, I, I, Pete Flaherty, by the way. So Pete Flaherty, our, our college baseball guy, one of the hosts of the Boys of Spring, he, he did a lot of scouting on Mazzucato for, you know, his job with the Yankees as an associate scout and saw a ton of him because that was in his in his region. And I haven't really heard Pete Flaherty gush about a high school arm like that in a while. Um, and, you know, Mazzucato is a big dude or a big projectable dude. Uh, he he's, doesn't fill it out yet, but he's 6'3", a little over 180, and just has so much more room to fill velocity. But what I really like is that he already sits 90 to, to 93, uh, but I really could see a little bit more velo there. The pitchability is there. The curveball is fantastic. And I'm just like, this is a guy that knows how to throw already. Uh, and this is a guy that's probably already more polished than Asa Lacey mechanically. And I think just in terms of being able to get out. So does, does, is this a guy that we could put ahead of him at this point? It's hard because you're looking at um, a more physically gifted lefty who throws 98 versus a skinny kid that throws 91. Um, is there better command there with Mazzucato already? Yeah. Uh, are there better secondary pitches? That's, I think, where it gets hard, right? Like, I think Lacey's slider is better than Mazzucato's curveball, although they're pretty similar there. Um, I think Lacey's changeup is a lot better than Mazzucato's changeup. But you can't throw any of them for strikes if you're Asa Lacey. Yes. Uh, so, like, it, it's hard, man. Um, and, you know, I always sided with the people that were command first, that were good pitchability, because the reality is, like, throwing strikes throwing consistent strikes will get you more outs than velocity i mean like chapman gets lit up at times with his 102 right and you know you see a lot of starters who okay yeah throw 98 but if if they miss over the heart of the plate it's taken for a ride and then you see kyle hendricks put phenomenal years together not 2021 but like 2018 2019 2020 he was awesome um it's tough like i'd because there's a scenario there's a scenario where we don't see the velo tick up there's, there is a scenario. Um, he's 175 pounds right now. If he gets up to like 190, this would be awesome if we could delay the update by like two weeks and just get, just get a quick VLO reading on Mazzucato and Lacey. I know. Um, like if we got Mazzucato, it's like, oh yeah, he's up to 94. Absolutely. Oh yeah. 100%. But like 91. Um, do I think he's going to fill out? Yeah. I mean, he's a high school kid from Connecticut. Like you're yeah. absolutely going to fill out when you get in a professional weight room. That's just how that and works. And he's six, three. I mean, he's, he's got projection. Yeah. I, you know, it's, it's hard because those are your last two high picks. Those are your last two top 10 picks. Well, I, I would say. Let me make one last pitch real quick. Yeah. Because this is this was a little blurb that I got from from Pete Flaherty on Mazzucato because I didn't get to see him in person that really intrigued me in terms of you asked me what pitchability is right and we talk about what what that definition is this right here Jack is pitchability Mazzucato has an elite feel for a curveball that he can land for strikes throwing it to the back foot of righties or spiking it low and out of the zone I would argue that he has the best feel of anyone in the 2021 draft for his breaking pitch. And it is not by accident. He officially or essentially throws three different curveballs, and it is not by accident. He uses three treks as he calls it, depending on the breaking ball he wants to throw. He will pitch hitters backwards effectively. 
something so few 18 year olds possess the ability to do. That was what, what Pete Flaherty had sent me. Uh, so, so like these three different variations of his curveball, I, I think is a really fascinating wrinkle to that. Yeah. So I, I watched a lot of video on Mazzucato and I noticed that he was able to, with one of the iterations of the curveball, get bite and land it up in the zone. Like letter high curveball called strike. You don't really see that until you get to the big league level. Effective curveballs at the top of the zone. And very few people can do it. I saw this high schooler do it in the Northeast. Yeah. Um, and because of that, like that write-up, I think is enough to put Mazzucato over Lacey. I, I think so. I'm going to bet on this kid. I, and also let's, let's talk uh, a little bit. I mean, I won't get too deep into it. Makeup matters. And uh, give me Mazzucato in that, in that department. Um, okay. You know, I don't, uh, I don't know anything about it. So I'll, I'll take your word for it. Yeah. I'll, I'll, like that, that matters uh, as we know. And uh, Mazzucato uh, from, from what I've gathered is, is, fine in that department. And that would, that would put him ahead. Uh, n- number six, or I guess, I mean, this isn't official, but that's a conversation that I think we'll have to have with, you know, as many people as we can on just how concerned should people be about Asa Lacey. Uh, number six for me, I think is still solidified at number six. Like I'm still going to have Lacey ahead of Vinny Pascantino. Most, most likely, most likely. Right. I, th- I, mean, I think you should. Yeah, just because of the first base limitation. But hell, man, I mean, Vinny Pascantino is is really darn good. Uh, he's probably not going to budge from that sixth spot. He he just kept hitting the way he was when we wrote this thing up uh, during the season. He is an absolute masher. And really, everybody I've talked to that has played against him uh, has, has said the same thing, which is just, the guy just hits and our pitchers don't know how to get him out. They, they really don't even have a plan. It's just like, let's, let's try something new today. <laughs> and, and I think the numbers would back that up. Right. I mean, when he made the jump from high A to double A Jack, his numbers didn't even budge one bit. Uh, his strikeout rate actually dropped by two and a half percent. His walk rate jumped by a percent. His WRC plus was identical. And basically the same power output. I mean, the, the guy just absolutely hits. And that's, here's my question is right. He's limited to first base. Most likely. I don't think he's going to be able to play corner outfield or anything like that. He does not move well at all. He's limited to first, but this guy's a big league bat. Uh, how good of a big league bat. We'll have to see how it translates. There's a scenario where he could be Ty France and there's a scenario where he doesn't quite have the power translate the same way at the big league level, but walks doesn't strike out and puts the bat on the ball. Knowing that you have that, how do you value that against a command struggling southpaw who has all the upside but could flame out and never even make it to the big leagues? Like yeah. that is this is this is the struggle of prospect ranking in a nutshell. I have to rank a first baseman who can't move against a, a, a guy who can't throw strikes but has all the stuff in the world, uh, and I'm supposed to be able to to, to compare apples to oranges there. Yeah. And and I think you have to go with the pitcher that has all the stuff in the world just because of the ceiling, like the ceiling for Asa Lacey is so much higher than Vinny Pascantino, but the ceiling for Vinny Pascantino is 30 bombs at the big league level. It's Ty France. I think I I really think that's what you're, what you're looking at, which is cool. And and Vinny six, four, two He's a big guy. Um, And he plays like a really good first baseman. Here's the thing about Vinny Pascantino and the Kansas City Royals right now. 
Nick Prado's the first baseman for the next 10 years. Okay, blocked there. Let's throw Vinny at DH. Well, Sal Perez is on the books for the next five years. Okay. Uh, where else can you put him? Nowhere. All right. Let's use him. Let's let's go get, you know, a spot we need to fill with Vinny Pascantino. Um, I would love to see the Royals figure out a way to utilize him, but he's going to be in everyday major league first baseman or DH. I do believe. Um, do you value an everyday first baseman DH over somebody that has ace stuff? Uh, no, you, no, you can't, you can't because I mean, like you're you, the one, the, the, the first percentile outcome for the most part is, is Ty France, right? Like what is, what is, what is the best case scenario? Like there's no world where Vinny Pascantino is Freddie Freeman. Right. So you're hoping he's a Ty France type and that would be fantastic. Absolutely. Fantastic. I think for, for the Royals, it makes the most sense to deal with this guy. Teams really like Pascantino, and that's where I lean on Baseball America or some of the other uh, resources. And just, you know, what, what are teams saying? And, you know, they'll tell me they all really like Pascantino. There's a lot of interest there. Uh, that's why if you look at the just missed on the top 100 list for Baseball America, they said, you know, teams really said we needed to focus on Pascantino. Fangraph said the same thing. Uh there's going to be a team out there that wants him. Right. And I think for the Royals, they just have to figure out what that trade looks like um, and, and, and how that can make sense. But I see this guy getting packaged out most likely. And that's going to be interesting to see kind of where he lands. Uh, but I, I really, I am almost leaning towards it almost being a sure thing that he gets dealt. I, did, I don't really understand how you can keep this guy and he doesn't have much else to prove in the minor leagues at all. Yeah. He's blocked. He, he's he's the, blocked. as blocked as blocked gets, and he can't move anywhere else. So what do you go get if you're Kansas City? I know you and Peter just did this exercise. Yeah, you know, we're, I was talking like center field. Uh, I was thinking when I, I'm, we made a trade with Oakland because I'm thinking Oakland's going to move on from Matt Olson, most likely. And they have their heir apparent right there ready to go in Vinny Pascantino. I, and, and I think he fits the mold really well, like bat to ball, high on base and power. Uh, you could probably plug that guy in at first by a couple months into next year. You probably want to see him do triple A for a couple months and then bring him up. Yeah. And go we, get, uh, we trade him for Ramon Laureano. Yeah. Go get Laureano. If you, if you're cool with Michael A. Taylor, how about I'll give you the better version of him. <laughs> so <laughs> that's kind of what we're looking at, but yeah, obviously it would require more than just Vinny. But I think Vinny's a good piece because Oakland's a team that would really value somebody like that, that can help them now. So that doesn't really impact his prospect ranking, of course, but I, I agree. We're, we're going with the high upside lefty ahead of somebody that is limited to first base and all the pressure is on the bat. But let's be honest here. Vinny Pascantino couldn't do much more. Like he's done everything possible to make himself as can't miss of, of a bat as, as, as you can see really in the minors. Correct. And the last thing I'll say, 87% zone contact rate, which is well above average, doesn't swing and miss. Chase rates are strong. I mean, the guy hits lefties. He does everything. Really exciting. This is where things get fun again. Um, we're not graduating Kyle Isbell, right? So right. Kyle Isbell probably slots in right after here. Is there a world where Kyle Isbell is ahead of Vinny Pascantino? No, 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 but 
I like Kyle Isbell a lot. I do too. We've, I, we've oohed and odd over Kyle Isbell often together. He's one of the classic guys that I think got impacted by 2020, just kind of almost disproportionately to some other players. Cause he, he really, I think could have used, we kind of saw a shift from him around that time. And I don't know. I, I really like what I saw from him in 2020. I think he can play center. I mean, if, if the Royals don't go get a center fielder, I think he can play center. I, I think he can give you that type of Ben attendee production with a little bit more athleticism and an ability to stick in like to stick in center. If you need, I think I'd rather go get a, a Supreme defender out there and, and have his bell be in a corner. But I mean, this guy, he can swing it. He can steal bags. He's got some sneaky pop. He, he brings a little bit of everything to the table. And, and I really like, I really like the well-roundedness of his game. I, I hope that they give him enough ABs this coming year. Um, and I think he's going to be a sneaky, good 280, 350, 4, 440 guy. I, I think he's the perfect fourth outfielder for the Kansas City Royals. I think Isbell is the slap him in there, you know, give Michael Ta- Michael A. Taylor a breather in center. Give- Better than Taylor, though. Like, I, I understand the defense, but. Okay. Yeah. But like, Taylor is already the proven vet. So, but like, Isbell is not a guy that you have to make an everyday outfielder as soon as he comes up. But why? Like, uh, okay. I, I told, I don't disagree. My question is, why not? Um, that's a good question. And I don't have a good answer for you. <laughs> Can I sell you on him real quick? Cause this is, I, I am a believer that he should be playing instead of Michael A. Taylor. I would give up some of the defense in center field or go get a center fielder and put Isbell in a corner. What, what, what would the outfield be right now? It'd be Ben Attendi, Michael A. Taylor, and then hold on, I'm pulling Merrifield up Ross. And right. I'm too much in prospect mode right now. What it would could it be? It could be Whit Merrifield and right, and then you've got uh, – They're so crowded out short. there. I'm starting Isbell in right field. Um, this is what Fangraphs has, real quick. Merrifield at second, Nicky Lopez at short, Salvi at catcher, Benatendi in left, Bobby Witt at third, which I, no. I actually think might happen. Uh, Alberto Mondesi at DH, which is hilarious, uh, whatever. Um Hunter Dozier at first, also hilarious. We can you can throw uh, Nick Prado there, and Isbell in right, and Taylor Michael A. Taylor in center. So I, I think you, you're looking at Kyle Isbell in, in right field, right? I think that makes the most sense. I'm cool with it. I'd like a little bit more of a power outfoot from right field, but I agree. Kyle Isbell in 105 games in AAA this year hit 15 bombs. Uh, yep. So if he can give you 15 to 20 in right field. By the way, he was also 22 for 27 in the stolen base department. That's, that's something he's bringing to the table, too. I mean, this is a team that could lead the league in stolen bases. Yeah, with Mondesi, with I mean, Witt, Witt Merrifield, obviously. And, and Bobby Witt. <laughs> yeah, true. This is a team. And I mean, I, I don't know. I think Nicky Lopez swiped 22 last year. Like This team could easily lead the league in bags. Michael A. Taylor swiped 14. Um, Salvador Perez swiped one. Shut up. <laughs> they could, they could, no, but actually they could lead the league in stolen base. So I think he kind of fits the mold. And I don't think people realize it was a short sample size, but Isbell was really good at the big league level last year. 28 games. He put up a 109 WRC plus. He struck out a lot. 337, 434. He struck out a lot. 28% K rate. That's not that bad for a guy that's getting his first stint in the big leagues. 28%. Like I'm okay with that. You I'd like what? to see it go down. It's his first stint. And- 
And hey, everyday right fielder is what he just put up in AAA. 20% K rate, 10% walk rate, and you swipe 22 backs. So, I mean, we agree here. I, I, I don't disagree. There's, there's better guys out there to put in a corner. But like, let's say you go trade for Ramon Laureano. Now that's your outfield. Are you cool with a Ben Attendee, Laureano, Isbell outfield? Not to mention, Isbell is an above Absolutely. average. Absolutely. Above average to plus, probably a plus defender in right. He is a plus defender in right. Yeah. So that is an insane defensive outfield too. I, I love that outfield. I'd watch I mean, Royals games. I, I, I'm planning on it this year. So I, I think we agree here um, that Isbell is kind of solidified there at seven. So he's going to jump Alec Marsh, who, you know, just was not available enough this year to really show off his stuff because he was a guy that was pitchability first at Arizona State, Alec Marsh, uh, and then saw his stuff tick up to just freakish levels. Uh, but he only threw 25 innings last year and, and, and health has been the issue. So I think we, we jump Isbell to seven. But then that kind of brings up eight. You know, who, who are we looking at here? There's a litany of pitchers. And, and honestly, I love Marsh's stuff. But now at what point do we get concerned? I mean, Marsh has only thrown uh, 58 and two-thirds professional innings. Nasty strikeout stuff, looking like a high reliever risk guy. And we just went down the rabbit hole of Ben Kunerna, who looks like a middle rotation guy that can just pitch right now. Like he, I think he's going to climb through the minors quickly. Second round pick in this same draft that they got Mazzicato. They underslotted Mazzicato. I'm pretty sure they overslotted Kunerna to, to sign him as a high school arm. He can just throw a jack. He can just flat they out throw. doubled the slot value. They doubled it for him. There you go. Yeah. They, I mean, he was born in 2003, like no need to rush him. <laughs> no. Oh, three. That's who we're talking about now. Um, Marlins won the world series that year. Like that. Jeez. Yeesh. We're old. Uh, yeah. We were just watching him. Um, we did like the screen sharing, watch the YouTube video on him. Cause I, I hadn't seen anything and just like a quick thing on what I like about him. Um, he doesn't have that typical drive forward with the glove hand and tuck it on his way forward. He's got almost that um, yank down look. You said a lot like what Jack Leiter does. I see it particularly with the breaking ball with Leiter because you yeah. want to get that, that vertical torque a little bit. You want to get that sharp movement down with the shoulder. And he does that, and he's online enough. So when he misses, he's going to miss vertically, which I prefer to missing horizontally. Yeah. And, I mean, he looks like a guy that I think is going to command it pretty well. I mean – we talked about the mechanics. He has that like interesting little hesitation with the leg lift, but he's super smooth uh, for a young high school arm. I, I see some athleticism on the bump there with him. Um, I'm, I'm curious what you think mechanically. Uh, 6'3", 175. The fastball's got synced to it. We were watching some really talented, I mean, Tamar Johnson, Marcelo Mayer, uh, Elijah Green, taking some some uncomfortable swings against him uh, in that in that game. What was it? What was that? The baseball factory there's so many different games where all the sick players just get together but regardless looked really really good fastball is like 92 to 95 now it ticked up a little bit and we talked about it on the bit just baseball show yesterday i love me some sinker slider overlays right like and that is what what he kind of gives you is that fastball with run good slider and there's already a feel for a changeup. if i see a high school arm with already a, a, a good fastball has his slider and is already showing signs of life with the changeup, sign me up. I think this kid knows how to pitch. There's a reason why the Royals, I think, changed their approach 
I think this draft, which I love to see, I love to see an organization say, Hey, we may, may not be doing this thing. Right. I mean, we aren't developing pitchers as well. We've done a good job with hitters developing hitters. Um, I mean, I think you can see that from the way they helped, whether they did it or not in their minds, they see Nick Prado and MJ Melendez turn things around and turn into studs. Bobby Witt has been great out of the gate. You can't take credit for it, but you can kind of just acknowledge that uh, those hitters have been fine. Pitchers, not the same story. You approach this, you look at it. I, I love that they went with the pitchability guys or the guys that have a little bit more feel rather than just pure stuff. And I, I love this pick. I think that he's got to be right there at number. It would be number eight now, right? Um, yeah. I think he's got to be there with the upside that he has, even though we haven't seen him professionally. I'm here for it because I latch on to bowling ball fastballs and he's got a bowling ball fastball. Yeah, because it helps your baseline, right? I mean, like, even if you're not getting swings and misses, you're getting ground balls and you're getting outs. And you look at the first two rounds of this past draft, everything you lack in Mazzucato, which is fastball velocity, you have with this kid, Kuderna, who's 92 to 95. Like you mentioned, he touches sevens occasionally. So like, and there's more there. I'm I'm cool with it. I'm absolutely cool with it. And there's a world in 2024, 2025 where you've got, you know, Mazzucato and and Kuderna both making their MLB debuts. I'm with you. I'm with you. Uh, on to the next guy, Nick, Nick Lofton. Um, Lofton's a tough one because I actually like him a lot. I mean, I, I think he's an interesting all around offensive prospect in terms of what he can bring to the table. You look at the numbers last year, 289, 373, 463, 130 WRC plus and high A, 10 home runs, 11 stolen bases. Uh, he, he does a little bit of everything. He's got a great field to hit. Uh, I, w- I would put 55 on the hit tool, uh, but not a ton of power, above average runner, decent defender, could move to second. Um, but I mean, zone contact at 90% is, is elite. Um, the power I think was better than a lot of people thought, uh, with those 10 home runs, it's a little pull side dependent. He's a college bat who feasted on high a competition. Um, and he's 23 in five months, um, no, like 23 years old with five months already under his belt. So he's seven months towards 24. I realized that that could be 23 and five months and, yeah. and five months. Yeah. 23 and five months. Yeah, there's he played really well. He played really well. 32nd overall pick in 2020. I mean, this is a good player. I, I just, if people are wondering, like, oh, look at those numbers. Why is he not there? College guy crushed high A. It's kind of the same thing with Michael Massey. Uh, I like him. I'm watching. But if I had a dollar for every single time I got a college bat crushed high A pitching and then struggled in double A, we might be able to poach Ken Rosenthal from the athletics right for just baseball. Yeah. I hear you. Um, everybody hit well for Quad Cities this year. Like Quad Cities was one of the best teams in high A. Um, they had Vinny Pascantino. They had Michael Massey. They, like they had I, the Royals somehow were, were just amazing on the farm this year. Omaha was awesome. They hit every ball out of the ballpark. And then Quad Cities just ran roughshod through all of high A Central. So like. Yeah. Um, Lofton was riding the good juju from everybody else, but yeah, 90 games, a 130 WRC plus, he doesn't strike out that often, 15% K rate. Um, when you think best case scenario, are you seeing Nicky Lopez with a teensy bit more pop? But here's the problem is like, I don't see the defense. So he's a good defender. He's a good defender, but Nicky Lopez. Best case scenario, what do you see? That's, that's, 
best case scenario, I, I kind of see a, a Whit Merrifield light, right? Like you're, a guy that can play all over the diamond. He already played second, third, and short last year. With less um, stolen bases. What? But less stolen bases. Yeah, right? less stolen bases. I mean, he swiped 11 in 90 games. I think his guy's going to swipe 10 to 15 every year. But that's kind of what I see is, is a bat-to-ball guy who's going to sneak in 15 home runs um, and play all over the diamond with, with above-average speed. I, I It's kind of just what I see here. I don't see an everyday shortstop. I think the range is a little limited there. Uh, the arm's a little bit limited. Uh, but he's really good defensively. He's great actions. He's smooth. And the, I think the hit tool is going to translate all the way through. So I see a high-end super utility type that if he's your everyday second baseman, you're perfectly happy with that too. Um, and, you know, he doesn't have the power, I think, to carry third, but he can play all over. I kind of see that Whit Merrifield light type, uh, which yeah, at this part of your system is, is great. It's just I think the ceiling is so limited that that's kind of what keeps him from being higher up on this list. Yeah, no, I, I like it. And I think he can be a utility guy just looking at what's going on here and watching a little bit of video on him earlier. Like, I guess my thing is, is he exceptional enough to crack this team with one of the brightest futures in all of baseball? Uh, probably not. Um, so trade chip, trade. Pascantino and Nick Lofton, you package them and you get a really, really good player in a place that you need one. I'm with you. I'm with you. And I think they're going to do it. I really do. I think there's a scenario where they do it. So uh, it is interesting to kind of see where, where what they're going to do with some of these guys. But I mean, I, I like the way I like the way Lofton plays the game. I, and I think you, you got to have guys like that in your system. So I am I am excited about Lofton in terms of just seeing how he does at the double A level and seeing how he continues to develop. But I, I love the hit tool for him. I, I love the athleticism and the well-roundedness to his game. And that, that keeps him pretty, the high floor keeps him solidified in, in the top 10 here. So now we get to the, the end of the top 10 and Eric Pena was a guy that I had there before. He still has a ton of exciting upside, but dude, I mean, he, he I watched, I went down the rabbit hole of his, of his video. He's got a lot to, to figure out. Uh, with his swing. It is so out of whack. There's a lot of issues there. And I mean, he was really, 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 really bad at the rookie level. I think 100 and change. Uh, so I, I just, I can't in good conscience keep him, even though I love the upside. I, I just, I couldn't put him ahead of Jonathan Bolin or even like somebody like your your good old friend Michael Massey I would even put him ahead at this point because you at least you know you're, you're getting some solid base on Alec Marsh still like where do we go here uh at number 10 uh do I let you make your case for Michael Massey and then I play the devil's advocate on other guys like did you think Michael Massey really fit, fits in here I think Michael Massey is one of the best middle infield defenders in all of minor league baseball That's um, I think he's got a, a longer swing than typical that he makes work um, I think he's got good bat to ball. I think he's got great plate discipline. Um, I don't know. I can't quantify it. I know you can with your uh, with your advanced tech machine. Um, so go ahead and do that after I'm done. But Massey, like I've been watching Michael Massey since he was 16 years old. I we grew up in the Chicago Land area, and like with somebody that you've been watching since you were 16, you saw him out on the Cape. I watched him at U of I. I've been, you know, keeping tabs on him in the Royal system. You quite literally stalk Michael Massey. 
Well, you know, no, I'm I, kidding. It's just I'm, the way I'm things are lined up. Match. I'm kidding. I like, um, but like, you know, I, I keep tabs on the guys that I like interacting with and, and I loved interacting with Michael Massey when I was out on the Cape, he was in Brewster when I was in Brewster. So you guys um, grew up in the same area. Grew up in the same area. Yeah. He went to brother rice, which the is the way you very... phrased it made it sound like you just followed him everywhere. That's why I made that joke. Like, you no, know, no, it no. sound we, like, we, Oh, we, I've known this guy and we, we, I've, I've seen him play a lot and we play Like we crossed over a lot. Yeah. We crossed over a lot. There you um, go. Yeah. So there's that uh, really, really good head on that guy. Mm-hmm. Like I, I was talking to him and you know, a lot of these guys, you've got Bible study that happens, you know, every go and I'm not like a religious person, but you've got Bible study every Sunday in minor league baseball. You've got guys that come in and do that. And he said he unlocked something. He got a lot more um, in touch with that side of him when he was at U of I. And he said that changed my perspective on hitting because I could go over three one day in high school that would kill me. And I would yeah. go home and for the next hour, I'd be pissed at myself. Now I go over three, I scrub it. I know how to scrub it. I come back and I go three for three the next day. Yeah. I he's love that. This, I love to hear that. Got this confidence. He's got this simplicity to his mind that translates to a very good approach at the plate. And Oh, by the way, he's the best fielding second baseman in all of minor league baseball. Yeah. I mean, I, I like that. And, and again, like this is why it's so important when we go into our top prospect lists, like we're, we're putting a lot of, you know, again, like we, we don't want to be, and this is something I have to hold myself accountable for because I have my, my people that I'm closer with, you know, in the, in the baseball world through, I mean, you and I have had similar tracks of just playing and then, and then broadcasting and then going to the Cape. And like, there's a lot of guys that we, we were more intertwined with in terms of just a crossover, meeting them in the same places and just continuing to stay in touch through the, the widely boundless baseball landscape. When you see a familiar face, it's so daunting, scary, and vast when you're going bouncing from spot to spot. I mean, when I got in the Cape and I, a couple of players that I had known for a long time, it was like, I saw them light up before the game and like, you know, dap me up and say, Hey, great to see you. Like seeing familiar faces in the baseball landscape is always so refreshing because there's so many new faces at all times. And um, you know, the, the thing that I, I really like about what we're able to do is that you can get into a lot of these, these players minds and you can kind of see how their mindset translates on the field. And uh, you know, if I heard Michael Massey, it, you telling me that Michael Massey said that, but then I'm seeing him strike out a shitload. I'm going to be like, all right, well, it sounds nice, Michael Massey, but you know, I don't, I, I don't know. I'm not seeing it translate. Right. Proof the is, is in the pudding. Is, and with him, the proof is actually exactly. Exactly. So, you know, it's not just like, Oh, he told me this. So I, I, I like him. Like, he told me this and he backs it up with his play and it all makes sense and it comes together. And, and that's why Michael Massey is getting serious consideration here for, for number 10 on the, on the last guy on this list. The other thing I really like about Massey is, you know, as you told me to kind of take a look at him and go down the rabbit hole is that he has really good body control is, which is one of the biggest things I look for with hitters, of course. And um, you know, another guy that I would have liked to have seen it get a little bit of a taste of, of double a, but I think the Royals, for whatever reason, didn't want to rush some of the, I think they have a little bit of a backlog with all of their, some of their middle infielders and it goes yeah. from top to bottom. But I mean, Massey, you talk about the, the gold glove caliber defense at second base. Another guy that if you're gold glove caliber at second, you know, you can roam all over. I, I got to see a little bit more out of the arm, but I assume he could probably anchor third base, maybe play short in a pinch like that versatility, I think definitely helps. Uh, I mean, what kind of runner is he above average? 
he's a fine runner, like average to slightly above average. Like he'd probably grade out at a 50 or 55. He swept 12, um, you know, last year. So, I mean, there's there, the easy, he's pretty similar to Lofton, uh, but he somehow hit 21 jacks last year. Um, yeah, so you got to remember, you got to remember though, that high a had the uh, pickoff rule in place. So 12 I know. could actually look like seven or eight. I know that's the thing that sucks. And they like stopped it halfway through the year. So I've been yeah. like taking it. It's, it's really annoying. It really is. Um, but I mean, developed pull side power, good body control. I, the, the, the detraction is he's 24 almost and hasn't played above high a. So uh, the glove helps. The bat to ball skills help a lot. Develop power help a lot. I, th- I think that's a guy that, that probably is the, the front runner, especially with what you talk about with the intangibles uh, and just the approach to the game. Probably the front runner for for number 10 here uh, and, and kind of displacing Eric Pena. Uh, but I figure we'll wrap up real quick with some of the other contenders, because even though they might not end up being number 10, if they're a contender for 10, they're a name to watch. Yeah. So. I'll go through a couple names to watch. I know you always have some college guys that I miss. Um, <laughs> so uh, like Michael Massey, who you did a great job selling me on Peyton Wilson, recent draftee. Uh, you know, I, I got to see a little bit more, but 2021 66th overall selection competitive B pick uh, was great at Alabama. Uh, you know, he, he is another guy that can fly. Uh, some scouts give him plus plus on the speed. Uh, so high floor in terms of just bat to ball, plus plus speed, big arm, um, which is interesting. Big arm at second base, but can't really play short. So maybe second slash third base with a lot of speed. Uh, but I, I like him as, as a guy to follow. Alec Marsh point still stands in terms of his stuff. I think the fallback here is you could be looking at Alec Marsh as, you know, the, the Royals closer, I think in 2023. I really think the stuff is that good. Fastball is 2550 RPMs at 95 to 96 miles an hour with a disgusting slider at 87. Uh, Changeup's nasty too. This guy could be a legit closer. I still am holding out hope that he can put it together as a starter and stay healthy. A uh, few other names real quick. Angel Zerpa, nasty lefty that I think I could like be him. an interesting guy. I like Zerpa a lot. Talk about the Cape, Tyler Gentry. Uh, Offensive guy, outfielder, third rounder in 2020, just to demolish baseballs. He probably would have been drafted higher if it weren't for the season getting sh- cut short in 2020. I like the pop that he can bring. He's a, a pretty good athlete as well. Uh, I worry about some swing and miss through the upper levels, but a name to watch, no doubt about it. Um, another name that I think is underrated is Drew Parrish. Uh, really meager stuff for the most part, but a three-pitch mix that he commands well in the low nineties with the fastball and just kind of makes it work. And then one other name before I kick it to you, Will Klein, another guy that if he's the closer for the Royals in a year, I wouldn't be shocked at all. Fastball up to triple digits, wipeout slider, only 22 crazy strikeout numbers, six, five, two thirty. That's another guy that's going to, they find these dudes that they know worst case are going to be in their bullpen and be Josh Stalman. So I, I like that approach. Ben Hernandez, one of the best changeups in the minors, just got to figure out how to command uh, the rest of his pitches. Anyone you got? Yeah. Do you like Bolaños? Bolaños is, I, I think he's thrown a couple innings at the big league level. Um, he, he can't throw strikes at times, but he's got decent stuff. Like he's got, you know, mid nineties with the fastball. He's got a sharp slider. He's got a, a tumbling curveball as well. I don't mind Bolaños. I don't know where he factors in. Great depth arm. I think. Yeah. Great depth. yeah. That, that might give you some nice streaks of middle relief 
lights out. Uh, and then you try to put him in a, in a big responsibility situation in the eighth and he blows up, <laughs> but uh, no, definitely a, a name to follow a hundred percent. Yeah. Um, did you mention Dylan Coleman? I did not. Did he not throws one Oh two. He's, he's six, five, two thirty throws one Oh two. He could be so, Stelmont. Are you seeing what they're doing here? You know, with the, their fourth, fifth, sixth round picks, they're like, okay, like we could take a flyer on a bat and whiff or a flyer on a starter and whiff or get the guaranteed bullpen arm. Right. I kind of like that approach. I know they didn't draft him, but like they traded for him and, and the guys that they drafted are in that range, kind of same approach. Yeah, I, I do dig that um, because a lot of those guys that you take in the third, fourth, fifth round, like chances are you're not drafting them to be a rotation guy. Um, I have like what the Cubs have done recently where they go get one of the best relievers in college baseball in like the third round, because if you want to go pitcher in the third round and you don't see a starter on the board that you think can be a starter, why not go get a closer at the college level that could be a setup guy or a seventh inning guy? Like they did that with Michael McAveen, broke airway, can't throw strikes, but like if, if he can figure out how to do that, okay. But I do like McAveen. Dylan Coleman, let's see, he throw any innings at the big league level? Yeah, he threw six and a third innings. Um, I mean, he, he was fine. And like AAA, he was pretty freaking solid. He struck out 15 guys per nine at the AAA level this year across 33 innings. So I, I do like Dylan Coleman. And then the last guy that I want to mention is Luca Tresh. You saw him in yeah. Omaha. Mm-hmm. Um, he's blocked, like, absolutely, because Melendez and Salvi are, you know, on, on the books for forever. There's um, no rush on Luca Tresh, I'll tell you that. No, yeah. there's zero rush on Luca Tresh. I mean, this guy, he, NC State, Tresh was kind of like one of those main anchors for NC State. He's a stocky six-foot um, great value in the 17th round of this past year. How yeah. the hell do you get Luca Tresh in the 17th round? I don't well, know. I'll tell you how. You underslot Mazzucato and you give him fourth round money. Uh, they give him $423,000. That's fourth round money. In the 17th round. Yep. Great play. The Royals killed the 2021 draft. They killed it. That's what I got. I like it. I like it. I, Tresh is a name to follow. It's going to be a slow burn, right? Like it's going to take a while for him to, to work it all out, but has the tools defensively big time arm and, and has some power there. I, I like if Tresh went back to school, he probably could have played his way, you know, into a, a better position, but I think he's like, let me take half a million right now and, you know, get into pro baseball and develop there. Here's my thing. Here's my, as somebody with a four-year degree as somebody that, you know, like I, I took proud in my GPA. I actually loved like college classes. I loved high school classes. That makes like one of us. Shit. That makes one of us. Okay. So like as, as somebody that was, you know, quote unquote, a nerd in college and was class first, loved my shit. Uh, I will tell you if I was a professional baseball player or a college baseball player, and I was offered half a million dollars my junior year, I'd go get my degree after I'm done playing. When yeah. you get money thrown at you, Take the freaking money. Yeah, take the money. Please, and, God, take the money. The amount of college it. kids I've talked to that are like, I could have signed for 1.2 out of high school, and I wish I did that, is through the roof. Yeah, there's very few Jack Lighters and Garrett Coles of the world, you know? Very, very, very few. Very the few. people that I've talked to in college ball that are like, damn, I could have signed for 1.3 out of, of high school. I should have done it. Nobody says, yeah, <laughs> good that for me. said, That said, I always appreciate and love the desire for guys to turn down the money 
and go to college because they want their degree and they want the experience. Like I, I, I do love and appreciate that too. So I, I like both sides of it, but. And the thinking also might be outdated with NIL in play now. Yes, exactly. Exactly. If you're Jack, like Jack Leiter could have made six figures plus in NIL as a baseball player. Right. And, and Enrique and, Bradfield is going to make six figures plus in, in due time. Tyler or, or uh, Tommy White's going to make probably money in it, right now he's yeah. going to sign a de- he's going to sign a deal with a car dealership in Raleigh like right yeah now. yeah so I mean even though he hit the wall a little bit so we'll see uh but yeah I think the point stands and that's why NIL I think is, is great too so these players can capitalize on their abilities even if they don't translate to big league ability uh which is very very important uh but we already ran long enough on this one this was fun I kind of like this we're not always going to do this because a lot of times this, the system will be done we're going to do this with the ones that have been written already that we're updating which there are a handful of those. So we'll be mixing in these episodes with some of the new ones that we're unveiling. Um, And it's really just predicated on whether I was able to write up a system that week or not for full transparency. And this week I wasn't able to, Uh, I was traveling a lot. I was in Atlanta and then I was in Miami um, and uh, just been doing a little bit of everything. So full transparency, couldn't write up a new system, but that's why we got some good ones in the bank and we have to update them anyways. So it kind of works out, but Jack, any final thoughts? Any way to not do the White Sox system. If you can update oh, every system, oh. do all 29 before the White Sox system, do it. And when you do do the White Sox system, I'm going to opt out of that week. I have nothing to say. Oh, about you're going to have, when we get to your team, you're going to opt out. I'm out. Can <laughs> we just do top three? Yeah, let's do top one. Let's just talk about Jared Kelly. I'm cool with that. That's so bad that, that that's top one. Well, now you get the new draftees at least. So we can talk about those guys. Fair. But, uh, All right, we'll see who we're going to talk about next week. And there's a good chance, can't promise it, good chance that there might be a very prominent Royals prospect this week. If not this week, it'll be another week uh, for an interview. So keep an eye out for that. Jack, any final thoughts on the Royals system and the future of the Kansas City Royals? Kansas City Royals have one of the best futures in all of baseball. Uh, The system is not where the Mariners and the Guardians are, but it is a top five system in baseball, I think. I think you have Mariners drop off guardians big drop off and then you've got rays royals dodgers you know those teams are stacked right there so um kansas city has the best player in all of minor league baseball sitting here um they've got some phenomenal top end talent they've got some interesting talent at the back end of the top 10 um there is a drop off after 10 or maybe after 13 or 14 um but with the young talent they have at the big league level and the top flight guys that are coming up in this system, the Kansas city Royals have one of the most exciting futures in all of baseball. I'm with you. Just develop some of those arms. Like if you're wondering why we didn't mention Jackson Coar, those they're graduated. If Coar and some of those other guys, if Daniel Lynch, Lynch, Bubich, just, just, just pitch a little bit, just, just be like your 60th percentile. They're in great shape. Also, as we wrap up, I forgot to mention Jonathan Bolin, love Jonathan Bolin, mid nineties, fastball, uh, a, a really interesting slider as well. Could be a bullpen guy. Worst case, another name to watch. He's finally healthy, missed time with injury. Hope you enjoyed this Royal System rundown. I think the future is bright out there, no doubt about it. And uh, it'll be fun to continue to update some of these other systems. And we're getting closer and closer to the minor league season. So always thank you for listening. You can check out the write-up, which is linked in the description. We are going to continue to update it, though, as the next few days come across and we make our final, final decisions, which you heard us talk about. Thank you. Look forward to talking prospects with you on Wednesday. Wednesday.